And there came a day, a day unlike... Wait, no, that's been done. Hmm. Who knows what evil lurks and... No, that is that other thing. What has yellow skin and rights? Ah, forget it. You're listening to Panelology. Excelsior, oh, damn it. Welcome to episode 170 of Panelology. I'm Alex. I'm Brian. I'm Megan. Welcome back, Meg. Hey, Meg. <laughs> Thank How's you. How's it going? Better now. All right. <laughs> Everyone feeling well rehearsed for this this recording session? Yes, indeed. Yes. My yeah. my vocal cords are all ready. Yeah, good, good. We uh we spent a good, you know, 15 minutes doing vocal warm-ups and practicing and we're all really in the zone now, right? That's right. Yes. Cool. Especially prepared for this first book. Yes. <laughs> That's right. You are tempting me to switch from what we had planned on to something else. <laughs> oh, I knew that. I totally yeah. knew that. Batman, Curse of the White Knight, number one. What a surprise. Yes. <laughs> yeah, this was so good. Um, I really, really enjoyed the first one. And this, so I was very much looking forward to this, does not disappoint. Sean Murphy okay. has done it again, in my opinion. I also really dug this one. Yeah. Meg, what did you think? So I was kind of on the fence about the first volume of this. I ended up getting it from the library rather than buying it because I I thought it was just kind of like a one-off 12-issue thing. Knowing that it's expanded and that it's continuing on and we're actually seeing the repercussions of what happened, I'm actually retroactively liking that trade more um, and may actually go buy it now. Yeah, I think, I mean, I really think it is that we get to see those repercussions that makes me like this so much. Yeah, and kind of tying into what what Meg said is one of the things that I think in some ways makes the first one even better is uh, in this one we get the Joker back as Joker. And so we get to see him as Joker dealing with Jack Napier from the first book. And that whole transition doesn't feel like just like a setup, you know, like a like a gimmick, or it doesn't seem like a you know, oh, we well we had to do this and reset it. It seems very much like it was planned as part of the story, so yeah. it seems very natural. Well, and it does a good job of that, I think, because it frames it frames the relationship between the two as completely adversarial. Joker talks about Napier in the same way as, sometimes even in the same breath as Batman. Yeah, yep. Yeah, it just really adds to the, you know, we didn't want to just do this to say like, hey, maybe, you know, the Joker can be a good guy. All right, and back to our regular scheduled program, it's... It's a real storyline, and now Batman's got to deal with the, oh shit, am I a good guy? Or was Jack right? And I'm really, really excited to see that. I definitely forgot about Alfred, so that was a... (laughs) Like, I had blocked that from my mind, so that was a nice reminder. Thank you. (laughs) Well, it's funny. There are... I had two specifically because the variants for this arc are all character variants. And, like, for number four, it is an Alfred variant. It's like him looking around this corner holding a fencing foil out. (gasps) No. Yeah. It's very good. Which also, a quick PSA dedicated to our friend and occasional co-ghost Tim. There are two covers for this. One has the title dress, Batman Curse of the White Knight. 
one has the title dress Batman Curse of the White Knight, and right under it, Asriel. All those character variants have the character name on them. Curse of the White Knight and Curse of the White Knight Asriel are not two different books. They're the same book. Don't buy both. <laughs> oh, no. Unless you just want both. Unless you want both covers, right, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, I wonder if he already did. No, he said, I bought Curse of the White Knight Asriel. I'm going to read it, and if it's any good, I'm going to go back and get the regular Curse of the White Knight series and read it, too. Oh, bless. I said, okay. well, good news, Tim. You don't have to do that. <laughs> Congratulations, you won this yeah. week. Yes. I did not tell him I was going to drag him on the podcast for it. <laughs> I feel like after this long, he should expect that. He should expect that. Yeah, that's about right. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things you guys both mentioned, Alfred, is there's several things that are that are put in place in this series that, like, one is that Alfred is gone, right? The second yeah. is that we had the whole Jack Napier thing from the first one. Um, we have Barbara and Dick, uh, you know, questioning Batman in the first one and judging him and now working for, you know, the Gotham PD under one of something that Jack Napier created. Yeah. Um, and it really puts Batman in a place where a lot of these touchstones that help define him and keep him who he is, Alfred, Joker, those are all kind of called into question. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so he's really questioning himself. As Meg mentioned, you know, if, if Napier was the good guy in the first one, if I admit that, then does that make me the bad guy for resisting him? Yeah. Well, at the same time, existentially, if if even the Joker could do good as Napier, right. can the Batman do more good as Bruce? Yep. Yeah, I think that is the big question. You know, his entire goal has always been Batman will clean up this city, and yet a guy who was seemingly supposed to be a normal dude did better and um i think this is actually like one of the deepest questions about batman is like is the point of batman really to clean up the town and so i'm really glad someone i mean i'm sure there are other batman comics that question this but i actually really like the way that this one's being brought up and using his one of his arch nemesis as as the um antithesis yeah Yeah. it really Um, i'll I'll be there's a there was a couple of things that reminded me and made me think of um joker and napier in some ways as uh, Two-Face and how Two-Face has been used sometimes in the past mm-hmm. where they are two, you know, Joker at least certainly treats them as two distinct personalities or people. Um, and the second is, you know, the whole Jack Napier as just a guy doing so much good to actually improve Gotham, which is like Harvey Dent when he was the DA, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. I don't know if I care for the 1685 storyline. There's something about like that uh, trope that I don't particularly love but i'm willing to suspend my my uh dislike and see how long i I can see if it actually helps my argument there yeah. Well, and we have also not talked about Asriel. Right. John Powell Valley shows up in this issue. The internet right. is thirsty for him, let it be <laughs> noted. Um, and he is, we meet him as he is being given a fairly grim prognosis. Mm-hmm. And we later see him again as he is given an offer that ties back to this past storyline in some way. I just realized this is the same month of the, as, the, as some of the offering books. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. It's an alternate timeline, The Offer. How's that? There you go. <laughs> I'll buy that. That go. works for me. Uh, I mentioned <laughs> one of the things I absolutely love, the whole issue, Joker's wearing a Batman shirt, like a Batman t-shirt. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> just... I wonder if he and, and Scott Free subscribe to the same, like, loot box or whatever every month. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that's what it is. <laughs> All right. Any last thoughts on Curse of the White Knight? Nope. Good choice. All right. The Flash, number 75. 
the end of year one, mm-hmm. we get uh, what's probably a fairly fairly standard sort of conclusion to the year one story. Yeah, it, it, uh, there were many learns, surprises in that respect. Yeah, right. Barely, Barry learns an important lesson about hope. The town rallies around him like it's a good, solid, traditional kind of Flash mm-hmm. story. And then we come back to the present, and we get a lot of new information that is, uh, well, I guess the la- the first bit we get right at the end of the flashback, and the rest is i think new information that sets up some stuff going forward at the very end of of looking back to the first year barry sees wally and wallace both together yes which kind of in the same way that superman has done a lot of prior to bendis taking over has done a lot of like merging of pre and post flashpoint Mm -hmm. timelines this is doing that and finally moving that forward some for the flash yeah like iris literally shows up and says hey you should meet my nephews wally and wallace yeah yeah and like wally is holding a slightly younger wallace in his arms yep. and like that moment is the moment that then like wally goes with iris and wall or sorry wallace goes with iris mm-hmm. and wally goes with barry and then gets hit by lightning and like that's that moment yep. at that point and then we see the person honestly i'd totally forgotten there was someone showing barry all of this <laughs> that had completely slipped my mind and this is the new still force user yeah steadfast steadfast which is a great like, name. what a great name for that right yeah um like i really love this character design and just everything about kind of this piece of the setup i think it's a cool piece i do too i do too um like williamson has put a lot of new pieces on the board and he does some clever things with them as he builds to those points this is i think the first one where like a new character shows up and we learn stuff i'm like okay yes this i am down for this now without seeing any more yeah and then we get uh the on the very last page we get some teases of probably what's going to be coming in the next big Williamson trickle of stories that lead to something. Yeah. Right. Well, the next big arc is called Death of the Speed Force. Yeah. So big stuff is is afoot. Yeah. But what it's one, it's one of those, there's like six panels that are clearly all, you know, storylines that are going to happen coming up. Yeah. 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 What did you think of this one, Brian? Uh, I, I enjoyed it. Like you said, I can't say that it was super surprising in any way, but it felt... I've mentioned before the whole the whole how they framed and the story they told as a year one story. It did not yeah. feel like a year one story, yeah. right? Like the whole thing, but the conclusion felt very much like it fit in with that kind of story. Well, and it Agreed. does it does a thematic job, and I think it does this very skillfully. Mm-hmm. Of while being a very recognizable flash story, it does open the doors to kind of ignoring the baggage of doing all this future time travel. Like, it leaves Barry in a place where, okay, really all these things that act as touch points we have to hit, as prophecy, as all of that, kind of none of them are are set in stone at this point. Right. Things are a lot more fluid than sometimes they feel in Flashbooks in terms of what has to happen next. Yeah. Well, but especially because there's so much of the time travel and you know where it has to get to and all that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think that works because the future Barry who we've seen in this feels a lot like the Barry we've been reading for the last 74 issues. Yeah. And the year one Barry who walks out of this feels like maybe he has learned some of the stuff that that, that Barry has always struggled with. And it puts him on a different trajectory. Yeah. So yeah. now that he has all these memories back and has this fuller picture back, mm-hmm. maybe there's potential for growth in Barry. <laughs> That'd be nice. 
Um, that would be so so nice. Um, but yeah, I think I think there's a lot of smart writing in this. I do too. I do too. Yep. I, I am looking forward to what comes next. Yes, it does that for me. Wonder Woman number seventy five. Also, some big things happen here. Yeah, they do. Uh, um, so what's going on in this one, Brian? So this is uh, Diana and Atlantides and uh, Maggie, Maggie and uh, who, what's a Philippa, 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 yeah, Philippa. Yeah. Um, basically, so this kind of small renegade group of Amazons going back to Themyscira mm-hmm. and freeing, so to speak, because they're not necessarily like prisoners, but. Um, fighting back against Grail and the Amazons that are siding with her to release Hippolyta and turns out another prisoner that Grail has. Yeah. Um, and basically restore Themyscira as we kind of know it, right? I really like the use of Grail in this. Like, in, in G. Willow yeah. Wilson's story as a whole, but coming out of Jeff Johns's Justice League run, yep. setting up the Doomsday fight, whatever mm-hmm. that plotline was called. Yep. Um, like, Grail was this really cool piece who kind of never got enough space to do enough for me. Yeah. Like, especially in relation to Wonder Woman. And then we kind of saw her again and she was still sort of a supporting character to Darkseid. Yep. And this is, I think, the first time really she's been given room to do her own thing for her own reasons. Agreed. And And I really like positioning her as this sort of dark answer to Wonder Woman. I love how... Because Grail got basically during during that last the last time we saw her, she was taken and put in the same prison as Ares. Yes, which was like this space between the the world of Earth and Themyscira. Yeah, it was kind of an in between where time didn't pass and all this stuff kind of thing. Limbo, limbo, so to speak. Right, and she was just kind of forgotten there, to be honest. Yeah, right. And I love that that G Willow Wilson picked her up from that and used that whole thing like yeah she got stuck there and forgotten hey let's make that interesting yeah <laughs> like that's her motivation is revenge for them putting her in that pr- she's like i've been there for decades yeah yeah because time moves differently there right yeah um and that's why she came and and took over Themyscira and that whole thing yeah yeah i dug this a lot there is one thing i bumped into and i, I will say i don't think this is any fault of g willow wilson's mm-hmm. this was from the setup in Wonder Woman Rebirth but as soon as as soon as that beat of I am home for the first time in half a century hit yeah all I could think about was I understand that that is true for you Diana inside of the narrative but as a reader that really doesn't read for me right and, like there there wasn't and I, I think I know where you're going with this and it's almost like there wasn't enough Set up, and I mean, you would have to do it skillfully, but there wasn't enough setup of reminder that she hasn't been there for. It's it's not even that. I think there could have been reminders, and it would have felt heavy handed and clunky and dumb. Yeah. If I'm being honest, I I've thought a lot about this, and I can tell you exactly why. Why for me, someone who typically says, "Well, you know, canon is what you make it. If you don't like this thing, just don't worry about it." Right. Why it rings hollow? It's because canon is what you make it, and if you don't like this thing, don't worry about. 
about it. <laughs> Which is to say, like, for Diana, yes, in store, and this is why I say narratively it is true. She has never been back home and she right. knows this. But as a reader, if you've read any Wonder Woman prior to Rebirth, yeah. that's not true for you. Correct. And that perspective of, I guess this is a, almost a dramaturgy argument, right? Like, yeah. the perspective for the audience is, I've seen Wonder Woman here so many times. Yes, they conflict and yes, they didn't really happen, but I really read them, so they are real for me, the audience. Correct. Yeah, my canon is different than what you're saying is canon, and right. there's a conflict there. Yeah. The audience's perspective and Wonder Woman's perspective are completely at odds. Yes, that's true. And I do not at all think this is G. Willow Wilson's fault. No, it's not. But that decision, and it bothered me when it happened, but like I lived with it. I'm like, okay, that's fine. It's storytelling. It's how comics work. It's it's the prerogative. Yeah. But the baggage of that in this context, I actually think hurts the story a little bit. Well, and here's the thing is you would... Uh, you would think that 75 issues would be long enough that it would feel like that works, but you're right, it doesn't. Yeah. Okay. I don't want to get hung up on that. No, though, I don't yeah. either. It's, I, I mention it only because I did have to stop and digest and unpack that one. Right. And I, 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 I it is interesting to me from a craft standpoint. Yeah, fair enough. The, the way that a decision that was meant to clean up a couple of years ago at this point still kind of has these probably even unintended consequences mm-hmm. down the because we've seen this is the fourth writer on this book, the right. third since Rucka wrote the arc that did that. Mm-hmm. And it, it it's... It's interesting to me from this, again, just kind of like academic narrative editorial standpoint. That's that's yeah, it. Yeah. Um, By the way, it, can can I tell you what my head, if we had still good at this book, what my uh, line would have been? Yes, please. Um, Atlantides is just stunning in this issue. <laughs> Everybody gets armor. You get an armor and you get an armor and you get an armor. <laughs> yes. You know what I think my favorite moment in this is? What's that? When Diana still offers Grail a place in Themyscira if she'll stand down. Yeah. 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 Like, that is the most Wonder Woman moment. I Very much. This was a great issue yeah. 75 Wonder yeah. Woman. Like, it tied up the storyline. It, like, did so much. It's yeah. it's great. I loved it. Yeah, Absolutely. me too. Me too. All right, Meg. Yes, that's me. Tell me about the latest entry in the ongoing saga of two of history's greatest warriors archie versus predator (laughs) so i saw this and i gotta say i've since riverdale started um i've really been getting into more and more of the archie comics i'm not going back too far uh, but i just read the 2015 and and i read all the weird ones basically Mm -hmm. and so when this came up i was like of course i'm going to check it out I have not read Archie vs. Predator 1. Uh, I do own it now, but I haven't read it yet. And um, all you kind of... I mean, you get kind of what you need to know yeah. uh, before it starts. It's not like I was completely lost. Uh, but basically, Veronica and Betty are the only survivors of their own Riverdale. <laughs> they have an Archie that's from the Predator multiverse. <laughs> and he only talks in emojis. <laughs> and then it gets really meta- as like Veronica's having a moment where she's just like, they keep talking about going down memory lane and that'll make everything okay, but they can't get to memory lane. And now she's really freaking out that people aren't going to be reading Archie and that the it's going to be forgotten. And then they, it's just, it's a lot of fun. Like it's really <laughs> meta and ridiculous, but I truly appreciate it. Like it's really addressing like, hey, we have all these weird ass Archie comics now and we know, we know. Yeah. yeah. It, it's one of the things I love about these, these kind of crossover 
crossover books like this is they they are they're just fun you don't take them seriously you just read them and enjoy it I, did yeah, you I, guys oh sorry go ahead no i was just say archie who only speaks in emojis it's like my new favorite thing <laughs> I want to meet. I want to meet the Jughead from that universe because you know it's just cheeseburger emoji, cheeseburger emoji, oh, yeah. cheeseburger emoji, milkshake. Yeah, I, it is definitely on my list this week to read the first round of Archie versus Predator. Did you guys see on Twitter where Archie Comics tweeted out like, "Please stop sending us your gritty reboots of Richie Rich. We don't own yes. the rights." Did you see Macaulay Culkin was like, "You can send them to me. I'm not going to read them, but at least you feel like you've done something." Yes. <laughs> Would anybody like to know my gritty reboot of Richie Rich? I mean, is it the current timeline we're in? Um, ish. In my gritty <laughs> reboot of Richie Rich, he is sort of a Robin Hood figure, but also a cannibal. It's called Richie Eats the Rich. <laughs> oh, no. It's... Can you guys see that? Yes. That's what I mean. That is excellent. That's, that's pretty brilliant. <laughs> Uh, By the way, can I say, going back to that Jughead that only speaks in, he would have to have the screwed up order cheeseburger first with a question mark, and then like three of the actual real cheeseburger emojis with (laughs) with an exclamation point. There's even like a joke um, somewhere where it's like, wait, wait, is it for the next? Oh yeah, it's for the next issue um, where, so... um, so it ends with the meeting up with another group of Archie and, and gang. And um, the next issue is our trio is our new and older getting to know each other, like classic Betty and Veronica discovering that newer versions of themselves actually aren't both trying to win over Archie's affections. And I just cracked up. <laughs> so I think that's one of the like really good things about the Archie comics nowadays, not even just like the weird ones, um, is that they're actually giving Veronica and Betty depth and, oh, yeah. and not just, you know. Yeah, like I mean, there's several books where like they are, you know, kind of like their own main characters that yeah. don't have anything to do with yeah. Archie or, yeah. Like, I really love Jughead the Hunger and yep. like yep. one of the first things you learn is that Betty's like, nope, I've just been faking that I like you. I've been <laughs> here actually the whole time to fight werewolves and I'm like, anything else could happen in that comic. That was enough to make me love it. Yes. So. Yeah. There you go. Star Pig number one. They say don't judge a book by its cover, but when its cover is a 90s-style illustration of a trapper keeper with a girl standing on a moon and a giant-ass tardigrade standing on, I don't know, like Saturn? How the hell did I miss this? My comic shop only got two copies of it. Okay, that may be why. This, this I think, is super under the radar. It's IDW. It's like an all-ages book. I had happened to, like, see a couple of tweets about it, and then I got in there and saw it. I'm like, okay, yes, big tardigrade. I'll buy this. <laughs> this is the most delightful fucking thing I have read since probably like I don't know if it's gonna earn a place in my heart right next to Unstoppable Wasp but it is that kind of delightful okay so this is about a girl on her way to space camp which is literally in space she is one of several which, kids which is the best place for space camp let's be yeah, real I mean this really true otherwise it's more like space LARP <laughs> <laughs> Man, Look, now I'm forever going to refer to, is it still Space Camp still in Alabama? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I went there like a few times as a kid. It is now forever going to be Space LARP. Yep, Space LARP. Um, she is one of several people basically on this space plane to Space Camp. And I think they're called a rocket. It like, I mean, it's got the aisle seating like an airplane. It <laughs> okay. is very much like Space Plane to Space Camp. And this object comes on a crash trajectory and splits it in half. And she's the only one not wearing her seat belt so she gets 
sucked out and a giant space tardigrade sucks her into its belly to save her and everyone else dies from exposure. Oh, jeez. And she and this tardigrade befriend one another and then this like collector of earth junk because earth junk is super valuable because everyone thinks earth is super cool comes and finds both of them and it's just like adorable and upbeat the entire time. I sent Brian a page. I think I sent this to you too, Meg. Um, Yes. Like a panel, not even a whole page, but a panel from this book that is uh, near the end of this first issue, this collector has picked up the tardigrade and uh, the main character and at one point she like passes out in shock, like faints and she wakes up again and she sees what's going on and she starts screaming and the collector, which is this like sentient blob, uh, says, human, you are doing me a frighten. The tardigrade response, if this is a frighten, you are also doing one to me. Please cease immediately. (laughs) And like, that is just in a nutshell what this book is like. It's like this tardigrade knows really nothing about anything or anyone but itself. It's just like this sweet space pig floating along doing its doing the best it can. And yeah, it's fun. It's a four issue miniseries. I'm going to read this whole fucking thing because it's just so fucking adorable and great. I'm going to have to find it. Yeah. All right. History of the Marvel Universe. Number one. This was another one I couldn't find in my comic book store, so I don't know. Oh, huh. So I considered picking it up and either, I mean, there's a good chance I just didn't see it, or I also went on Thursday, there's a good chance it sold out. Possibly. Okay, can I say that, just to start, that one of my favorite things is that it's not a watcher telling this story. It's not a watcher <laughs> telling this story. Yay, I'm so happy for that. All the watchers are dead. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That was a little too much glee. Everybody except for two living particles are dead and two other entities. Galactus and Franklin Richards. And Galactus and Franklin Richards, yes. So while they wait for these two living particles to die, Mm -hmm. Franklin asks Galactus to tell him a story. (laughs) Yep. And that story is the history of the Marvel Universe. Help me remember. Well, okay, and so one of the things that, and you get this very early, is when this is the seventh uh, well, no, the the one that the the Marvel Universe is the seventh, right? Yeah, the one that they're about to go into is the eighth. I thought we were in the. Maybe I've got it back because ISO eight is. God, we're going deep into the weeds here. Yeah. ISO eight is a thing that exists. Maybe that's particles of the next universe. I think that's right. I think that's okay. Right. So we we were in the sixth before Secret Wars, not Secret. Yeah, Secret Wars. And oh no, in maybe, the seventh okay. Now. So maybe we are in eight now after Secret Wars. Okay, maybe that's right because yeah, because he starts he starts talking about the seventh. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that, that makes sense then. So yeah. anyway, regardless, that's kind of off. Is that the person that became Galactic? Galactus, yeah, basically was the only surviving anything from the previous existence. Yes, um, and so you get the point that there is going to be there's always one surviving entity, and And you get the feeling that in this one it's going to be Franklin. Yes, right, and so he wants to remember everything that happened, so he will have it going into the next reality. Yeah, yeah, and this, I mean, we kind of speculated that this might feel writ large like an X-Men grand design mm-hmm. and I really think at least in terms of this first issue that is accurate. Uh, it's fairly accurate yes. Yeah. yeah I yeah. mean this is it's a little more like narrative creation myth take on that mm-hmm. because it is like fully narrated by Galactus going through. Yes. But it's still very much like okay this entity showed up and did this thing and then like six pages later here's how that pays off and how they show up again. Right. And you do have a whole 
whole like uh, 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 annotation in the back of what basically panel by panel is being referenced and explaining here and there what's happened. Yeah, when we talk about the you know the 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 cosmic beings, you know the first the the, the abstracts when we first talk about the abstracts, they, they talk about where each of them was kind of introduced. And, yeah, yeah. Well, like we get we get a couple of panels and it talks about there have been two confirmed Big Bangs. The first occurred when the original iteration of reality was destroyed during a yep. civil war. Yada yada yada. Silver Surfer 10, 2017. Ultimates 2, number 6, 2017. Right. Yeah, and essentially, you know, like I said, it, it starts kind of with the beginning with with uh, Galan of Ta coming in, and then the first thing you get are like, you know, these uh, these abstracts. You get, you know, eternity and order and chaos and yeah. death, right? Um, I look forward to the Bare Naked Ladies recording a song about all of Marvel history in the <laughs> style of the Big Bang Theme Theory. <laughs> Big, thing, Big Bang Theory Theme. There yeah, we there go. You go. There you go. <laughs> uh, and how uh, it, it well, and one of the things uh, uh, I think it talks about is um, that also from that basically the birth of that universe, what came out of the other one is when the uh, the Infinity Gems were were created. Yeah, right. And that's kind of why they have as much power as they do. Yeah, yeah. And then it talks about how there are there were a couple of other things that came from them, but they weren't really living yeah. entities. Like they the were, Phoenix Force came over, right. And uh, the Macron crystal, right? Yeah. yeah. was like Which, the first planet. I know Macron has to be right. And this tells you exactly when and where my first exposure to X-Men was. But I will never in my head not read it as the Imcran crystal because of that animated series from the early 90s, which <laughs> called it the Imcran crystal. <laughs> Maybe. Hey, pronunciation no, is... I promise you, names. there is 0% chance Imcran is right. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Regardless. So, and I'm not going to, obviously I'm not going to step yeah. through every bit of this, but no. it, that that's kind of a feel of how it does is it, it, you know, it takes and talks about what came next and then yeah. this happened and then this character was introduced and this line such and such beget such and such beget such and such. Yeah. So and, is you know, this a one shot or a mini series or like what is this? Six is, issue series. Yeah, six issues. Okay. And uh, I mean, it was guaranteed to have Alex liking it because there's a panel that talks about Fing Fang Foom. So. Yep. Um, I will also say if you are curious about this Eternals movie that is happening and want a very mm. quick condensed understanding of who and what the Eternals are. Agreed. This issue fills in a lot of those blanks. Also a lot of information about vampires, actually. Yeah, you're not wrong. Yeah. And essentially we get up to the point of the Old West. If that tells you. Yes. If that tells you how, what this, what these series is going to focus on, right, is we get all the way from the birth of the universe universe to the old west in the first issue we've got five more to get from the old west to current day yeah. so and the last panel of this issue is wolverine pre being wolverine running into the woods away Correct. from yeah. yeah okay all right the reason we are really all here today <laughs> house of x number one right. oh, wait this isn't house of 10 i'm confused there is <laughs> a house on krakoa i got the fun cover yeah, the Scotty yeah. Young. I always get the Scotty Young cover of the Xbox yeah. if I can. Yeah. Yeah, I was wondering how many of the covers you actually ended up grabbing. Just two, just two. Okay. Yeah. I also grabbed two, probably the same two, the regular and the Scotty Young. Yep, that's it. Yeah, yep, absolutely. Um, so this is like Hickman is like my my perfect analog because. I have asked for so long, why the hell don't the mutants just separate themselves, create their own space, and say, okay, this is how it is. 
is. Yeah. And that's pretty much what happens. <laughs> Before we get really deep into it, yesterday Meg called me out on Discord with House of X number one, <laughs> damn it, Alex. And I need to know oh. what that was about. <laughs> because when uh, Cyclops shows up, all I can see now is Jason Doring. Thank oh. you very much. <laughs> it's good casting. It is very good casting. If anybody is listening and you feel like rebooting X-Men, anybody from Marvel, Jason Doring, just yeah, go Brian, do it. Brian. I mean, they're Jason going Doring to. as Cyclops. Is this not is this not perfect? I give you that. I'm giving you that 100%. Chase Graves? Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's always interesting to see what people watch if you know him as Chase Graves <laughs> or Logan Eccles. <laughs> Runaways. Come on. Um, All right, so this begins mm -hmm. with Charles Xavier hatching mutants out of pods under a giant tree. Uh huh. No way that goes badly for oh. anybody. No, no. No, this is going to be a peaceful book. Yeah. And then we learn pretty quickly that the mutants have built their own island, set up portals out well, of plants. To be fair, they the didn't build field. the island. The island was there. <laughs> okay. They've built civilization on this island. There you go. Um, with, with the help of the island. Yes. Uh, we could argue about Krakow's timeline, but we're not going to. He was in New York last. That's all I'm saying. He didn't used to be there. Anyway. Um... <laughs> Well, that's kind of the point, is now he's kind of everywhere. Yes. He's 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 a bit Danny the Street now, yes. <laughs> yeah, Danny the Street. How many genderqueer sentients teleporting streets do you know? <laughs> Not enough. <laughs> Doom Patrol's so good. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we learn basically that Charles Xavier is brokering peace for a mutant nation mm -hmm. by offering miracle drugs. Uh-huh. You get plus five years to life, miracle antibiotics, and what was the third one uh cure to mental diseases oh yes yeah it would cure any disease of the mind yes. this all sounds too good to be true i was about to say what happens when you take all three you become a mutant probably and then you get your own drugs oh no wait those are just gateway and habitats and then the yeah, no that's, place that's what because so, that yeah, doesn't sound tough so first of all uh, i guess i will not first but i will also say this is such a hickman book like they're scattered through this these documents that are you know uh charts that it, that and graphs and dossiers yes and it's so wonderful it's so good um and basically there's one that's called the flowers of krakoa which is kind of you know what the humans get from it which are these three drugs and then what mutants get from it which are gateways so uh krakoa can plant if they plant a flower in a location it will grow into a gateway which allows mutants to pass through it to Krakoa from wherever it's planted. But humans cannot pass through it unless they are A, escorted by a mutant, and B, Krakoa allows it, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. We also learn that uh, Magneto and Charles are working together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And... Oh, well, I mean, theoretically, this is what Magneto's been fighting for all the whole time. I know, right? Like, this right. is the version of, this is the compromise. This is, well, here's us getting both what we yeah, want. Exactly. It's, it's my question point of why have they never done this that was my, always my question you want to know what my favorite panel in this is what's that it's the one of wolverine just like happy sitting on the grass playing with kids <laughs> yes, playing with so kids cute. with kids like tussling with page. him yes uh -huh. it's like this is so wonderful and like my heart is already broken because i know this will be shattered yeah oh yeah yeah so the 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 premise the story around this how we get introduced to this is we meet like four ambassadors from different yeah. countries who have been invited to have a conversation right and basically you know 
get this offer of, I mean, they've kind of already been given the offer, but it's yeah. kind of their, their time to question or discuss this offer yeah. with, uh, well, they think it's going to be Charles, right? They think they're going to go to Krakoa and have a conversation with Charles. Instead, they get Magneto and the cuckoos. Yeah. <laughs> and, and don't go to Krakoa. <laughs> <laughs> no. They just kind of get this tour of other locations. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and of course we find out at the end that like, for the, for the most part, none of them are real ambassadors. I mean, some of them have been made ambassadors by their country but that's not what their profession yeah. is right they're all basically like right. intelligence officers yeah like, or spies. like or like one of them is like a super rich industrialist yeah who runs a pharmaceutical company and wants you know to see if he can get the inside scoop on these drugs <laughs> yeah yeah we also see shades of a spoopy organization comprised of like shield and aim and all kinds of Strike. duplicitous yeah yeah Basically, all the organizations that Leviathan would take down if Leviathan existed oh, yeah. in and the Hi- even, like even Hydra, like yeah, like yeah. all of these, yeah, yeah. Uh, building basically contingency plans for not if so much as when mutants actually overtake humanity because their numbers and again Hickman charts and graphs and data, yes. their numbers have shown. Oh no, the the decimation really just slowed mutants down. They were never not going to overtake humanity. Yeah, the, the all the the mutant deaths in Genosha which was like what like 60 percent of the mutant population or whatever it was Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Humans have twenty years. That's yeah. it. Yeah. And we get like these the the probably other than I don't know other than maybe like dripping naked X Men emerging from Xavier's pods at the beginning. Yeah. The the just most terrifying panel of the issue, which is Master Mold's head mounted in a space station orbiting the sun. Right. Okay. So that's who that is. I was like, I yeah. don't know who this is. And when I asked a friend, he's like, it's just a sentient being. I was like, okay. Master Mold is like the giant AI that builds more. Sentinels. Okay. Yeah. Um. What I love though is. Uh... Like the the ambassadors are here, you know, they start questioning and all this. And Magneto's like, "Yeah, by the way, us inviting you here, honestly, it really wasn't for you. It was for us, right?" <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, this is not a negotiation. And oh, by the way, just realize that we are the natural inheritors of the Earth. We are the next, you know, species. We're being kind and giving you the rest of the Earth. You will give us Krakoa. This is not yeah. really an, you know, yeah. yeah. And I love. I just love how like there's it, it's not explicit they don't give it to you but he's like one of the ambassadors is like you know what you sound like and he's like yes and it's about time we sounded that way <laughs> it's like damn Magneto <laughs> I really like him in this oh so yeah. good right and then can I just as okay so I'm not someone who actually reads a ton of X-Men sure like um as you guys both know um has ex- Charles Xavier been wearing this random ass helmet for a while nope because no. it's like okay I was gonna say that's a creepy ass helmet nope. by and large I feel like the answer to and maybe there's something in here that that Brian can can catch me on I feel like the answer to any question about this book that starts with have they been nope is no <laughs> nope that's what I figured yeah. But, uh, cause like the, you guys, it, it didn't hit me that that's Charles in the first few panels, even after like later when you see him actually, you know, and realize it, it still didn't hit me that that was him. And it, this is very much, uh, I mean, it very, very much is, you know, canon fits in with the timelines of what has happened, et cetera, et cetera. But there does feel to be a little bit of disconnect. It seems like there's a missing story in between yeah. Yes, kind of where we're leaving off with like Uncanny X. 
statesmen and that kind of thing and where this is at and i think that that's what this book and powers of tin are it could be right like hickman has described the relationship between the two as because he always writes his books in like parallel Mm -hmm. stories and there's always some difference of scale between them like fantastic four and future foundation the scale was one was adults one was kids the scale was kind of that perspective avengers and new avengers it was big bombastic huge superhero sneaky machiavellian superhero for this the scale is 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 time Mm -hmm. this book is in present tense powers of 10 is about the past and the future yeah so I think this is going to give us what's going on and Powers of Tin is going to show us how we got there and maybe where this would go if it goes on unchecked. Yeah. That's that's my guess. Yeah. Reveals the secret past, present, yeah. and future of Mutant Cat. Yeah. The other thing that's cool, uh, and I retweeted this from Panelology last week, The the uh, for one, the logo design on the new line is very good. Oh, yeah, yeah. I like that. But the logos for House of X and Powers of Tin are color-coded. So like... The the, the logo on this one is, I think it's red and white. Mm-hmm. Powers of 10 number one is like white and red. The colors are inverted. Mm-hmm. And every issue in the line, because there are so many variants and there are going to be so many reprints. Like he planned right. he planned for how do I make this accessible just visually quickly. Like the red ones, the red and white ones are number two. And the, I think yellow and black, or, or, or one, yellow and black is number two. Blue and white or whatever is number three. Like right. they're oh, all okay. the same they're colors. They're color coded. Yeah, so like the number one of everything will have a different set of colors than any other issue all down the line. They'll match the powers of ten and just go house powers, house powers, house powers. Right. Reading the same colors. Nice. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. Um... Yeah, and then we we have this little strike team of like Mystique and Sabretooth and the Toad who break yeah. into uh, a damage, damage control, control facility. Basically, they're stealing technology from Stark and Reed Richards. Yeah. Hey, the well, fan- uh, sorry, go ahead. And the Fantastic Four shows up basically and captures Sabretooth, right? Yeah. They stop Sabretooth from getting back to Krakoa. And there's this phenomenally fantastic scene of Scott Summers coming out of the portal. Oh, I love their standoff. And so. here's the setup so you've got the Fantastic Four sitting here with Sue Storm's got Sabretooth in an invisible cube like captured right a mind box if you will yeah sure (laughs) (laughs) and um, Cyclops walks out and he is just like uh, uh, you know hey how are you guys it's the Richards family hey it's nice to see you all Ben I heard you got married congratulations Mazel Tov he specifically says Mazel Mazel Tov it's this totally like you know we know each other we're friends right you know, it's great, da-da-da. And then he's like, hmm, so can I take uh, Creed off your hands for you? And, <laughs> you know, Johnny, of course, is like, what? No, you can't have him. We just caught him, da-da-da. And Rich is like, hmm, why would we do that? And Scott's like, oh, you're smarter than this, Richard. You know what <laughs> what this means. If we give him asylum, you know what that means, right? <laughs> and so there's this, like you said, this big standoff. And it's like, okay, well, right now, no, it's not worth me to push. It's not worth it to us to push this so yeah you can have him for now and we'll deal with this some other way can i say scott summers being like eh, we'll deal with this another time is the most frightening thing in this book right yeah like, like that scared the, the shit out chill. of me 
Yeah. Yeah. It's way too chill. Um, I want to talk about the damage control thing for a minute. For two reasons. One, this casts damage control, I think, in a way more frightening light than Mm -hmm. they typically get cast. Because what kind of weapons cache are they sitting on? But also, did you read this before or after uh, Valkyrie? Valkyrie. I read it before. Yeah. Did did this like pop into your head during Valkyrie? Oh, oh, they're collecting all this Asgardian tech. Oh, this can't be good. Oh, yes. Very much so. Yeah. I don't know if that's intentional or not, but I want to think it is and that there's going to be something going on there. So, a couple things. One is, yeah, so if you didn't get that reference, basically damage control, when they go in and clean up all this stuff, right? Basically, they gather all of this technology and, and weapon and all this stuff, and if whoever, quote, previously owned it can't prove ownership, then they keep any of these contested items. I love this idea that Reed and Tony had, like, each other in their will to get the other stuff to protect against that. Yes. And then, (laughs) oh shit, they're both technically legally dead at the same time. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. So now it's all contested. The other thing is that, like, one of the, it may be, like, the last page, right right towards the end, um, Hickman gives you a reading order, right? Yeah. And, I mean, it's a super simple reading order. It's House of X number one, Powers of X ten number one. Like, it's one, one, two, two, three, three. But three Um, of them are in red? Three of them are in red red that is hickman does not do that kind of thing by accident no like this is what i love about hickman like yes. it's so it's so intentional and he talked and i've described it i've described like his writing as kind of a spiral for a long time that like you start on the inside yes. and he builds a layer and then he builds the next layer and builds on and then he mm-hmm. builds the next layer and builds on but he's actually talked in interviews like in the last couple of weeks he's done a bunch of interviews about this both because it's a big deal and because of sdcc like specifically that is exactly what he's doing here there's no he wants the starting point to be very accessible Mm -hmm. but it's gonna keep building in the same way and they're giving him really wide berth to basically do whatever he wants he's got one fear in his plan Mm -hmm. if the book is too successful he's afraid they won't let him make parts of it as dark as he wants oh that's fair and that's awesome now here's the thing and this is what and and unfortunately movie studios are like this especially the big two publishers tend to be like this they don't feel sometimes it seems like they figure it out or whoever and maybe it's like the editor that happens to get it and in charge but like you have to let the creator do that or it won't be as successful as you know right yeah that's why it's so successful is because you're letting them do this stuff well and the flip side of that story is uh his role in Charles Xavier's death in Avengers versus X-Men. Did either yeah. of you see this? Yes. So in Avengers versus X-Men, basically, I don't know if it was exactly like exquisite corpse style, but each issue was written by a different writer. And his issue brought Charles Xavier in basically to say, I see what you're doing and I don't approve to the Phoenix Five. And it was because of that that all the editors and other writers were like, oh, well, that has to be how this book ends. We have to have Scott kill him. That's the ending we were missing. Thanks. You figured it out. And he's like, oh, shit. I wanted to use him in New Avengers. (laughs) (laughs) He is accidentally responsible for Charles Xavier's death, and it pissed him off because he wanted to use him. (laughs) That is amazing. That's hilarious. All right. What else on House (sighs) of X? Because that could be the whole show at this point. Oh, so the Omega list. Fantastic. Oh yes, thank you. We yes. get a list of all the Omega level mutants and what really being mm. an Omega means. Correct. Yes. yes. 
you get a definition of what it is to be an Omega level yeah. mutant. And like Jean Grey is an Omega level telepath, telepath. but not an Omega level telekinetic. Correct. Yes. And like we see Quentin Quire is also an Omega level telepath, which makes it make sense why he could be a future Phoenix. Yes. Right. Um, and it, it, the, the prognosis that the most critical thing to the success of this, uh, of the future of this mutant society that they've established is the protection of their Omega level yeah. mutants. And in this case, they're, they're saying what Omega level means is whatever your power is, mm-hmm. there's no upper limit for it. Or there's On no conceivable Earth. way of anything surpassing that. Right. Yes. Like, right. Yeah. N- like they talk about Forge is his mutant ability is to build but you could ha- you have like humans like Tony Stark who can build just as well right right or potentially things like the the, the master mole who can build yeah. better so he's right. not omega level but someone right. like Iceman who like he can make doppelgangers and sentient entities out of ice and snow like there's literally no way to top that there's right. no and, and, yeah. right and it's not such that like the the dangerousness of the power right right because like you would never argue that Iceman's even though he's an Omega level temperature manipulation negative um, you know that he <laughs> is as powerful as you know like say Jean Grey with her yeah. I mean she just right. she just is right but he is an Omega level mutant in that ability because nothing can conceivably surpass his ability yeah. to manipulate it right and there's right. no real expectation that at some point his power levels tap out right correct right I also really like that they well I do love that Iceman's on this list I love Iceman. <laughs> uh, but they also discuss their um, alliance or allegiance. Oh, and it's, yeah. yeah. You know, everybody has pretty much given into this. There are two that haven't, that are sitting on the sidelines basically saying we're not loyal to anything. And two unknown. And I'm really curious how that's going to play out. Like if Legion's actually going to show up in all this, yeah. Um, and then of course Franklin Richards is listed as a human. Yeah, yeah. His allegiance is to the humans, right? Yeah. Um. Yeah. That's the other really chilling Cyclops line is until Franklin he's got family here when he's ready. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> damn. That's just there's so that's many why, lines like, in this that are just like jaw dropper lines, right? I think that yeah. I like I wasn't completely on board with your casting of Cyclops until we get this really chill like kind of terrifying and i was like oh yeah he can play this on such a level that i'm here for it all right last call god this is gonna be great okay sword master number one master of swords what'd you think meg um i was i enjoyed it I'm uh, probably going to go to trade if I continue with this. Yeah. Uh, because it just is such an introduction that I was like, ah, okay, there's not a lot of here. <laughs> it is. This, and it makes total sense because these are both from that same line. Much like Arrow, I, I will describe this as somewhere in between comics and manga. That's A-E-R-O, yeah. not A-A-R-R-O-W. Correct. Yeah. Right. A-E-R-O, yes. Talk A-R-O. about confusing names for a book title to <laughs> say out loud. <laughs> yeah, this is somewhere in between a manga and a comic book yeah and that's one of the reasons why i picked it up because yeah. it was like this is kind of a it's not what i normally see for marvel so i'm curious yeah um and i'm all for supporting them doing different things yeah, yeah. Uh, i enjoy it um it is very much a, kind of a, a an introduction type issue um we actually get two stories in this mm-hmm. um and the second one with shang chi i thought was probably a little bit more interesting yeah um and it talks about it's basically shang chi teaching having a lesson with him 
him and teaching him something. And of course, he completely misinterprets it. Um, he is very much like the 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 the, the shonen, you know, hot headed ma- manga anime youth boy, right? Like he's just mm-hmm. get, rush in and fight, just swing the sword, and kill it. And <laughs> Shang Chi's trying to teach him that if you take a moment, he, he like has this log set up, and he's like, yeah, go ahead, break the log. And he's like chopping at it with a sword, you know, doing a little bit of damage and all this. Da, da. And Shang Chi's like, but if you take a moment and study it and see its knots and see its cracks and the flaws and da da da, and then of course he hits it right and just pulls it apart and it just comes completely apart. And you know you can. This is what you can do. And he's like, he's like, but why would I need to do that? I have this sword. I can do this. Da, da, da. And he's like, no, no, you completely misinterpreted this. You aren't fighting the log. You are the log. <laughs> All of your enemies are looking at you and establishing and seeing your flaws and your weaknesses and your knots and your yeah. Right. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Fantastic. Yeah, I'm excited. I think the last panel is absolutely terrifying. Mm-hmm. So I'm uh that was enough to keep me going, but it is uh yeah. And it it's beautiful. Let's just face that. The coloring in this it is, is unreal so the color artist is um well the, again there's two so the artist is uh gunji for the first one and the colorist for specifically for the net the second one is uh rochelle rosenberg and mm-hmm. it the coloring mm-hmm. is just beautiful in this book i love it it's awesome. also not written by a white dude which i'm all on board for <laughs> <laughs> yeah all right. not to say like that my point being that this is it's a diverse comic and a, they're actually leaning in towards that more than just yeah. being like we're doing a diverse comic with a totally white guy cast yeah or yeah. you know yeah and that was that was creative. part of the point of these of these book these two books yeah yeah yeah, oh, I just realized I missed one in our show notes. Hey, Meg, do we want to talk about Fearless? If not, I'll just cut this. Uh, yeah, we can talk about it really quick. Uh, Fearless. At the very least. Yeah. Fearless yeah. number one. Similar to Sword and Master, it's a, entirely a setup, um, but it is entirely three different um, creative teams of just women. And I'm entirely here for that. Um, I am probably going to continue this one in as single issues just because I'm curious where it's going. But at the very least, that Jessica Jones, like four page panel, and it ends with all the little yes. like chubby babies. I was 100% here for so I got really yeah. excited when I realized that that is what because the title page the title page I think is actually a little misleading in which team is writing what character very much so um I did not realize the Kelly Thompson Carmen Carnero uh which it's the the Captain Marvel creative team uh mm-hmm. I did not realize that that was going to be Elsa Bloodstone and Jessica Jones yeah. Has either of you read uh, uh, the comicsology Jessica Jones that Thompson wrote? No, I'm a little afraid to ever get into a Jessica Jones. I like her as a side character because it's less likely that they're going to rape or sexually assault her uh, in some way. Kelly Thompson, but... Jessica Jones is the best Jessica Jones that has ever been written. I, I okay, have then I will give it a shot. Yeah, I have both of those in trade because that's the only way they were printed. Yeah, and I have not yet read them. Yeah, to me, Meg, the difference between Bendis Jessica Jones and Thompson jessica jones is thompson probably simply by virtue of being a woman and bendis not understands the difference between talking about trauma and trauma for its own sake yeah like i 
it just started Hawkeye with Kate Bishop and like Jessica Jones shows up and it, she's such a fun character when you stop like yes trying to force her to just be a product of her trauma yes. and I'm just so that's why I was really excited for this too and it does go to some dark places like the second dark is a purple man art but that's okay it's, it's from the perspective of her trying to protect Luke and her family from him yeah okay um I mention it because this uh uh Jessica O's Elsa a favor thing is picking up from an issue of that. Oh, okay. okay that does make sense. I have read yeah. enough of yeah. it to know that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, also, yeah. Elsa Bloodstone series by Kelly Thompson is like a new thing on my wish list. Yes. <laughs> yeah. The first one is, and this is Campfire Song, which is a leadership group, and Captain Marvel, Storm, and Invisible Woman are all going to come be keynote speakers. It seems really benign, but also then the uh, Susan starts. Is that her name? Yeah. Sue. Susan. Yeah. Yeah, Sue, thanks. Uh, I was like, I know she doesn't go by Susan, but um, starts talking about how there's nothing online about this camp. And so I am curious to see where that's going. And that is being written by Sean and McGuire, and I'm very excited. Mm, nice. The name of that camp sounds so familiar to me, and I 100% cannot place it. Well, it does sound like, um, what was it, Squirrel Girl has been there? So. Yeah. What's the name of the Maybe camp? That's what? Hang know. on, and I'll find it. Where's the invitation? Gloriana Leadership Camp for Female Empowerment. Oh, yeah. I have heard that before. Yeah. yeah. All right. But yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And then the middle comic is about models, which... Oh, yeah. It's a throwback to like an old relationship comic or old romance okay. comic line that Marvel used to have. What's the character name? I'm blanking. Millie the Model Millie. Style High Club. And I was... It was fun. You yeah. know, I really love clothes. So watching them like strut around in whole couture and... And, and then like the final picture of like what they did i it was fun yeah it has kind I read of this like right a... after sorry i was go ahead i don't go for it i read this right after house of x so it was like very much a release <laughs> <laughs> well, after all that tension if i remember right wasn't patsy was a patsy walker was a character in their romance comics to yes. start with right yeah oh that makes sense yeah um yeah originally patsy walker was a romance character and then through like you know weird 60s and 70s comic story telling bullshit gets pulled into hell and yeah now she's hellcat hellcat right as one does yeah Oh, Tony Stark, Iron Man. Well, we we get our finally our confrontation between um, Captain Marvel and Tony, where he tells her what happened. Yep, I liked this <laughs> issue a lot. God. I expect so. So Brian and I had a conversation before we started recording about where Brian's quote of the week came from, and I knew it had to be from this book. It is not what is Alex's quote of the week. It is not, and actually, mine is kind of strewn across several different parts of this because it's kind of kind of an ongoing thing. That happens yeah but yeah and uh, yeah go ahead mine is a panel <laughs> so basically tony's solution to having digitally had a drink mm-hmm is just to wipe the last two weeks of his memory so that it's like it never happened. Because if his memories are all digitally, digital engrams, you know, anyway, well, you can just erase digital stuff. Yeah. It's no different than rebooting a server to before you got a virus. Right. Oh, yeah. Tony, yeah, and, Tony, and, Tony. And he very much says, <laughs> you gotta admit, it's a pretty clever solution to this alcoholic thing, right? Um. At which point, Carol says to him, there is no clever 
solution to being an alcoholic. You can't just fix this with a snap of your fingers. I mean, it wasn't just a snap, Carol. Tony Stark making jokes about snapping is the best kind of whistling past the grave. And if I didn't already love Dan Slott as much as I do, I would love him even more. Yeah. It is an Omega-level love of Dan Slott that I possess. It, it is beautiful. Yeah, so he <laughs> says, it is a pretty clever solution, isn't it? And then a couple pages later, she goes, um, uh, he, something happens, and he and uh, thing and Tony's like, calm down, we'll handle this. Captain Marvel and I are here, we'll take care of it. And she's like, and if not, we'll just delete those few minutes and pretend it was fine, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then it happens again, and she says, uh, uh, I gotta get, because they're scattered, like I said, they're scattered over... Uh, um, this is, know. by the way, Brian's quote of the oh, week. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> um, and he's like, he, she she just keeps punching at him. And he's like, you're not helping. You're not helping. And so finally, all of his armor gets released, like gets taken over and released. And it's, uh, she's like, so how much? And he's like, the entire armory. How many? 42 suits. God, I hate you, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> Like, it just, it, she just keeps at him the whole book. It's yeah. beautiful. It's so good. We're not going to fight again, are we? I really don't want to fight again. Well, yeah. just don't put a fist through my chest and kill me. <laughs> yeah. Valkyrie, Jane Foster, number one. <sighs> this is yeah. everything I wanted it to be and more. Yeah, this was yeah. a fantastic book. I am always down for doctors getting put into morgues. <laughs> <laughs> What I think makes this work so well is that not only does it feel like a a, a situation and a setup, and even just down to voice, mm-hmm. a book that could really only be Jane Foster. Like, it's such a specific perspective that this book is built around. But it also feels different than Jane Foster as Thor. Oh, very much. Like, yes. it's, it's, it's not like you could take just Stephen Strange and have him do this. It is 100% a story that only really, I think, makes sense with jane at the point jane is at having gone through everything she's gone through having the perspective she has i think part of it is a a lot of times you get like when she was thor right Mm -hmm. she was thor who was jane foster right this very much is this is jane foster and she is now also these other things you know she has been thor and now she is valkyrie yeah well like there's 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 a gag that i think is the perfect encapsulation of that which is she really that she's running late for work. Yes. Like, oh crap! I mean, forsooth. This was this was my this was almost my quote of the week. Yes. Yeah. yeah. She's like, oh crap! I mean, forsooth, there is godly business to attend to in the land unknown. Valkyrie must away. And then she's thinking to herself, and she says, "Away, I must. I should have awayed ten minutes ago." <laughs> yes, it's beautiful. Um. But I like I like everything about I like her questioning you know herself in that she she talks in the beginning about how you know after being Thor she just wanted to be Jane again yeah but now also that's that it, that's not enough yeah after having the it both is and isn't enough right like um, it, it gives her the opportunity to appreciate life in a way she didn't before both correct. having been Thor and the cancer yep yeah but also like you can't unring that bell at some point in the perspective has changed in a way where you have to do more yeah and so she gets in trouble at work and gets moved into the morgue as the assistant doctor in the morgue (laughs) 
All our best characters are morgue assistants. Uh, right? It's so um, great. <laughs> and, of course, the, the, the person who is the, the coroner, the, 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 the person in charge of the morgue, is, of course, an odd duck who is just <laughs> beautiful. He's just wonderful, yes. Just talking to the dead people, you know, like one does. Like you do, yeah. Hey, uh, Heimdall can't catch a break, can he? Oh my god, no. Someone really should cut him some slack. Oh no, stop. Yeah. And she discovers she has a new power, the Valkyries. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, If you are not reading this, like, I don't think you really need to have read any of Eren's Thor up to this to actually enjoy it. No. no. It adds context, but enough of what you need is on the page. Yeah, like, the the only thing you, and you get it, like, right away, but the only thing I'd say that, like, no going into this is that she got the all weapon. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's it. And even that they explain early on. They do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like the choice of Bullseye, who is honestly not someone I normally care much about as a villain. Yep. As, like, Mm -hmm. the first villain she really has to fight in this capacity. Yeah. And there's some things, I think a lot of it is just the wording and the specific dialogue that's chosen for things, mm-hmm. right? Like, she goes to talk to Brunhilde about the sword, because it's Brunhilde's sword that gets stolen, right? Dragonfang. Yeah, and she goes to talk about it, and she's like, uh, um, yeah, so, you know, it, it's going to do this, and it's going to make them a better swordsman, and da 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 And of course, because it's a Valkyrie blade, they they can summon and, and use a winged steed, and, she, and her comedy He gets a free-flying like, a free flying horse with this? Come on! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just, and like I said, it's just a lot of it's just the word, and I love it. I love yeah. this book. I also think the art's really great. There's oh, like God. when uh, she meets up with what's his name? I'm totally blanking. Um, they're like in a bubble of rainbow color, and then the next panel shows like a wider extent of where they're walking, and that bubble's still there. And I just really appreciated that because it's like sometimes comics are like super big and colorful and it's totally for a moment and I don't know it just felt like it made me laugh more than yeah. anything yeah well you see that colorful bubble as they're on top of a building and like New York and it's grayness behind them yeah, yeah. well it also and also the death bubbles the art also really does a good job of like when her wings sprout or mm-hmm. dematerialize mm-hmm. or her weapon changes like this kind of liquid flowing aesthetic yep like yeah it's it's got a really great sense of motion in these little details that aren't like there's a there's a panel here there are a couple of panels here where like she's in the middle of the fight she's swinging this kind of like flail version of the all weapon and like there's an entire arc of motion to that but then her wings are also sort of melting back into her and that's its own yeah its own motion yep um and again i mean the art also but the colors in this are just beautiful yeah. <laughs> well that's that's so much of it too is like the way that whenever something melts or flows like you get those sort of gradations in yeah what would liquid metal look like yeah and i so i will give props to the color artist is uh jesus uh Aberto. awesome yeah i was just looking for that yeah beautiful yep very happy with this book yeah all right meg yep web of venom funeral pyre number one yeah, I'll just go through this really quick. I think it's a one shot. I think I did confirm that it is. Um, before. Yeah, because it, it reads like one, and but it's yeah. normal with their damn number ones. Just put one shot yeah. on it. Well, and like to make it even more confounding, this is like the fifth or sixth web of venom one shot. Yeah, that does. Yeah. Um, basically, it's a really horrific, creepy, gruesome one shot leading up to um, Donny Kate's new carnage. Yeah. 
and I really enjoyed it. I was actually really kind of hoping it was not a one shot when I went to look because it's the kind of horror comic that I love. Hmm. And um, so it's basically um, Mania is having nightmares and that turn into hallucinations while she's awake where her friends and family all keep getting killed and uh, it's either Venom or Carnage or just really messy deaths. And then to the point where when her aunt actually is killed by Carnage, she thinks she's hallucinating again. <laughs> so, um, but then we, it, there's a really cool battle between her and Carnage and, and yeah, it's just, it's all leading up to Absolute a really big carnage. battle. Yeah. So, which I loosely knew was going to happen. It's not really something that I was like, yeah, I'm here for, but I really liked this one shot. So maybe I will change my mind and, and get on board. Cool. Yeah. All right. Is it still good? Brian, Invisible mm-hmm. Kingdom number five. Uh, this is the end of the first arc. I think they're going to take a break before uh, the next issue comes out. And um, we... <laughs> Wow. The most appropriate commentary on how society reacts to earth-shattering news. Action Comics, number 1013, Brian. Um, I think this new character and Superman are going to be a real thorn in the side of Leviathan. <laughs> Batman Beyond, number 34. Bruce and Matt and Melody face off against False Face, who maybe is going to recruit Split to his side. Split is a pair of speedsters who, like, share a body. And sometimes split. Detective Comics 1008, Brian. Um, Batman and Joker have carnival game fun time. Dial H for hero, Brian. Oh, uh... (laughs) Good luck explaining this in a sentence. We discover what a secret origin really is. We get the secret origin of secret origins. There we go. You did (laughs) it. There you go. Freedom Fighters, (laughs) number seven. Um, damn... I think this book shows more than anything else what Plastic Man's powers could really be. Justice League Dark, number 13, Brian. (sighs) Zatanna and Constantine finally have the discussion they've needed to have for a long, long time. And Kent Nelson shows probably the most growth and uh, adult decision-making that he has ever shown in his life. Farmhand, number 10, Zeke puts down roots. Wickdiv, number 44, Brian. Cry. No, okay. Cry. Um, I don't want to hear more. We're going to have... There's one more issue of this, and I think after it's all over, we're going to have... It may even be like a whole bonus episode or something. Yeah. Like, we're going to have to do something about talking about this whole series um this is a this is essentially the end um the next issue is is an epilogue um and uh uh, so i'm not going to go into it now other than just to say cry yeah yeah meg you can be in on that okay Amazing Spider-Man number 26, Brian. Um, Electro turns down an turn Electro refuses an offer until an an offer is made that she can't refuse. Doctor Strange number 16, Brian. Um, we learn just what Steven is willing to sacrifice to win. Guardians of the Galaxy number 7. Most of the Guardians go to Creepy Space Church and the remaining Guardians recruit Rocket to help save them. <laughs> also, Rocket's looking Magnificent Miss Marvel number five. Kamala gets a new costume and becomes the savior of an alien race. Shuri number 10. Shuri finally comes to terms with what's been bugging.
bugging her this whole series. She's been fighting a giant insect. Mm-hmm. I gathered that. Yeah. Livewire number eight. Amanda continues her series of making mistakes, but realizes maybe what she needs to do to stop. Next week's books to read there. Next week's books to read. Yay. Yay. <laughs> Um, all right. I feel like our list kind of got a little messy, so I'm just going to call things out. And if you want to chime in, chime in. Because there's a lot of overlap and we all called out a bunch of stuff earlier. Powers of Tin, number one, I think is the obvious thing that is on all of our lists. Like, do we even have to? I mean, I guess. Um, Paper Girls, number 30. Uh, the final book of this series is a big double-sized issue, and, uh, yeah, this this has literally been part of my reading since I got back into comics. This and, and Wickdiv, and you're losing the book. I know, right? I I'm know. like, yes. This is this is a hard couple of months here, folks. All right, now, uh, I, now I must open the floor for Meg to gloat. Yes, so guess how I will be experiencing, hopefully, the final episode or final issue Brian I'm gonna let you guess because I know the answer yeah you know Um, the answer at a signing with you are correct with Brian K. Vaughn and yes and Cliff Chang I believe it's an and I think Cliff Chang was on it too yeah Uh, I gotta find my phone. Hang on, let me look at the invite. Yes, I will be taking off August 1st. My boss even knows why I'm taking off. (laughs) Um, And to go to a signing, um, I have no idea how this is going to go. It is with um, Cliff as well. Um, So this could either be something that super triggers my anxiety, or it'll be a lot of fun. Where's it at? Uh, Midtown Comics uh, downtown. Okay. And uh, New York. I was about to say in Atlanta. In New York. Yeah. It is literally if if so I was reading through it and it's go by the issue they'll give you a number for being in line so if it's one of those things where I can run in and grab a number then I'll actually go to work but otherwise my boss is fully aware I'm taking off solely for this reason <laughs> that's amazing that is yes. fantastic all right uh Red Sonia Lord of Fools this is a one shot that is Mark Russell filling in some stuff around his Red Sonia run. It's Mark Russell. That's really all we need to say. Yeah. Yeah. Done. You know, I saw that he was doing that, but like when I looked at the issues of Red Sonia, they don't really list who the creative team is. And so either that or I just didn't look really well. So I kind of need to know where his run ends and begins and all that so that I can read this. Um, It had a new number one about six months ago. There should be a trade out soon, I would think. Yeah. Then I'll just wait for that. Yeah. Yeah, It's got to be probably next month, I think. I don't I don't know how long Dynamite normally takes, but I don't think it's like DC who takes six months for a trade. Yeah. Yeah, that really drives me nuts. It drives all of us nuts. I don't understand why DC does that. Um, Angel number three. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, basically, I'm buying all of Buffy and Angel in single issues and in trade. And finally finished the first volume of Buffy last week. So even more here for it. You know they've got a crossover coming up between the two? Oh, I don't doubt that at all. Yeah. It's about the Hellmouth. Yeah, sounds about right. These are are just super fun, refreshing new takes on these uh, universes. Yeah. 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 It's so much fun. And also the covers are great. I haven't seen the covers for three, mm-hmm. but the covers of two had uh, a character who the actor died a couple of years ago. So it was really yeah. like, cool to see. And yeah, here for it. I'm here for Death's Head number one. 
This is Teeny Howard writing out Death's Head, the like robot assassin that travels through space and the multiverse and all of that. Specifically about Death's Head 1.0, whose body has been rebuilt as an app for like an intergalactic metal band and comes back to life during a concert. And Hulkling and Wiccan happen to be at this concert. The preview for this is just hilarious and delightful and I love it so much already. <laughs> Next week is a light week by most people's accounts, so you should go ahead and pick this up. It's the first issue of a four-issue miniseries. Even if you love it, it's not that big a commitment. Brian? Well, I was going to say, why do I feel like you were specifically speaking to me? <laughs> <laughs> because you are the avatar for my backlogging listeners. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, Shades of Magic, number eight, Meg. Yeah, if uh, you're a fan of Schwab, I got another new person reading uh, some of Schwab's, the, starting with the, the series this is based on recently. Um, the, it looks like the movie's moving forward, so basically jump in on this. But it's also the end of the second arc. Mm. I think there's three in total that are going to be, three or four. So um, if you don't pick it up just because the cover art is so beautiful on every single one of these issues, at least pick up the trade. that will be coming out in a couple months. Cool. Uh, Green Lantern and Justice League Dark Annuals are out next week. There may be a couple of other annuals too i think maybe a red hood red one? hood yep yeah. red hood annuals coming out um both of, I, I feel mean, like there was a marvel one too very probably um it's a fifth week so annuals a plenty yeah um i am loving both of these books right now i'm excited for these annuals green lantern we're getting really close to the end of morrison's first run mm-hmm. and we'll get into it next week but it sounds like there's a pretty significant status quo shift coming so i just kind of want any and all of it that i can get right now yeah yeah uh the venom annual i think is coming oh yeah for marvel next week yeah well that's what it yeah. was yeah and they've also been putting out the like infinity or secret warps yep yeah, as yeah, annuals. Where I think Iron long. Hammer. Yeah. yeah. And last one, uh, Meg, this is something that you said you actually have an advanced review copy of? Oh, yeah. Um, Sweet Valley the, High Academic All-Star? Yeah, um, it was on NetGalley um, along with Rainbow Bright, which I need to finish. Um, I loved Sweet Valley as a kid and am very intrigued to see what they plan to do with this. Um, I'll have my review out this week for the upcoming trade and I try very hard not to spoil things so if you're curious you'll be able to find it there and where can people read your reviews he says very very gracefully (laughs) they sit in the swamp and talk tv it's branching out with tim and me hey tim hey alex Ready to talk about more Swamp Thing? I am. I'm always ready to talk about Swamp Thing. Once again, we did not get to watch this one together. No, we did not. But we have both watched it, and we have both watched Doom Patrol. Yes. So, first up, how many wriggling vines for this Swamp Thing? Like, 4.7. 4.7, so that point yes. three, two epi- Like, previous episode, you docked a whole vine for no yeah. Dan. This time, yeah. Dan's only worth point three vine? Yeah, because this one would have been over 5, because it was such a good episode. Okay. Yeah, we covered a lot of ground and a lot of ground in the green yeah like i i enjoyed this episode a lot you want to you want to take a stab at telling everyone what happens um well we we follow sunderland and his travel through the gray and then his experience talking to swamp thing and then his experience trying to double cross swamp thing at the end of the episode yeah Do not you... really a lot in the b plots in this one this one was a lot of a plot we get to see abby in atlanta yep. and then her reaction to the oh man what is the name of the group the conclave the conclave yeah they they 
they go and try and threaten Abby, and Abby's having none of it. Mr. Conclave shows up at her place of business. Yes. With, uh, like, a rather thuggish-looking individual. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, it was a really good episode. So, during Avery's, let's call it a walkabout. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty accurate. Uh, we see first him confronted by a vision of the sheriff. Yes. Which, did you think that was actually her there, having returned to finish the job, or did you, did this read as vision to you straight up? Oh, for about ten seconds I thought she was actually there. Although, okay. it did have that, like, well, how did she get there kind of thought attached to it, but it did. Right up until, uh, maybe even longer than ten seconds, it might have been the part where you hear the gunshot but don't see the gunshot. <laughs> that it's like, oh wait, hold on, something fuzzy is going on here. That's... that's that's what I expected. Yeah. Um, we see that. We see Avery's father and young Avery and Avery's father taking a hatchet to a tree. And then that hatchet or that tree dragging Avery's father into a fire. Yeah. Which I was I was really wondering while I watched this. Like, obviously, this one was all vision because you see young Avery at the start of it. But I was wondering how much of this is metaphor and how much of this is sort of exactly what happened. That was my next question for you. Yeah. Because um, we know that Avery hates the swamp and avery yeah. talks about the swamp as though it's alive right without ever really seeing much evidence of that unless as a child he saw evidence of that right that's kind of was my thought oh, was, this is a really great metaphor if he actually had an accident in the swamp but it would also really like send a kid on a path against the swamp if it's sort of exactly what happened yeah you know how about avery and swampy together mm-hmm. in alex's lab mm-hmm. do I don't... you think avery was actually earnestly offering to help him no i don't think avery understands how to do anything earnestly here is here's my thing like in that moment i did not think so yeah really but then later when i did not think he was earnestly offering to help mm-hmm. but then later when avery gets back to jason and he tells him about swamp thing it does sound like he actually for a moment there wants jason to help alec he says but he saved me oh he does say that doesn't he yeah there is a moment in there and i would say at this point i mean for most of this episode i would describe avery sunderland as manic yeah if not clinically then certainly like i mean he is having these visions he is fighting for his life he is remarkably capable of survival in a swamp yeah actually Mm -hmm. um he does a good job of getting himself out other than you know the swamp trying to kill him he's not wrong yeah he's not wrong about the swamp having it up for him absolutely but yeah i do think there is this moment of of wanting to follow through because alec did save his life you know you're right he did say that so perhaps there was maybe i'm not giving him enough credit but i just as a person he was so easily swayed back to okay how can this benefit avery sunderland that even if it was there which i'll I'll give you very well could have been it didn't last very long no no it didn't last very long and like i say in the it was not until that moment with jason that i thought there was anything earnest sure. in his conversation with Alec. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also Avery has at every step been a monster. So even if he is earnestly there, yeah, it doesn't shock me that Woodrow's like, but how many more people could he help? Yeah, right. Um, I did absolutely love when Woodrow and Avery went to the swamp to confront Swamp Thing. And then those those other goons, I guess, jump out with their ice cannons or whatever we're going to call them. It, it, uh, I love that as a practical effect. Or I'm not sure it was practical effect. I guess I shouldn't say that. But I love that as an effect. 
the smoke and ice blowing everywhere, not being able to see what's going on, but only seeing the bodies fly out of it. That looked really cool. It did. It was super well done. And I do imagine that's very much a, well, we are running tight on budget at this point in the season. Um, Let's find a way to have some on-screen combat off-screen. Yeah, and and whoever's idea that was, and it does make sense that it would be a money-saving method, it was extremely well done and well-placed. That's the great thing about horror, right? Like, horror is an entire genre that thrives on being low budget because you can make i mean the unseen thing is always scarier than the seen thing absolutely and you can absolutely. you can make do with so little and such small nuanced stuff and with limitations like well we don't have the budget to show this crazy vine fight what little bit of vine work we were able to show in this episode was not necessarily of the quality we used earlier in the season mm-hmm. um also it was daylight and that's always going to be harder to make it look real than dark vines i wonder if that was sort of intentional as the dreamlike state for it to look a little over the top and that's possible too yeah but like all of that is like that's i mean this is why horror movies get so successful is because they're made on 20 cents and a shoestring yeah and then they sell like hotcakes if they're good yeah um and yeah, like, as much fun as the over-the-top vines and guts and, like, everything being, like, really, really extra in the first half the, of the season was, now that we're, like, a little slower and a little more character-based and doing less world-building, I actually do think kind of a shift to mm-hmm. effects and hiding things and playing with that idea of the unknown is a good call, even if it's not a budget decision. I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. But yeah, it turns out watching Fire Extinguisher goes off and bodies flying out of it is... Is, is sort of Tim, <laughs> Tim's jam a little bit because yeah. I really enjoyed that um i remember thinking while watching this just imagine if that daredevil hallway fight oh. <laughs> were in a smoky hallway <laughs> i imagine that's what's happening here i just can't see it yeah exactly that's pretty well spot on <laughs> i think yeah so i i've i've written it off that blue devils we're not going to get any payoff to the blue devil till that 10th episode so we're gonna I, get I, blue devil in the next episode this confirms it <laughs> wait is, is the next one 10 i thought no, we were next, only on eight the next one's nine. Oh, but if you're yeah. guessing it won't happen till 10 <laughs> Oh, fair, fair. Uh, It only stings because it's true. You know, mine's technically already out as we record this. That's true. Or I think, no, it'll be out tomorrow. We're recording on Thursday. Is it out? Yes, it's out tomorrow. They come out on Fridays. When I I watched it, it said we had 36 hours left. So maybe tomorrow morning? Yeah. Yeah. We're we're closing in on the end. I know. We're going to have to throw a party or something on that 10th episode. We'll have to break out some popcorn or something. Hang some dead vines around the house. (laughs) We're in Swamp Thing morning. That's what what our 10th episode will be, a funeral for the Swamp Thing TV show. Put little veils on all your succulents. (laughs) But it is. It's such a good show. And I really hate and don't understand why this isn't getting a season two. Because the real monsters are network executives. That's true. But speaking of season two, what did you think of Doom Patrol this time? Uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, Did you notice the connection between Doom Patrol and Swamp Thing? I absolutely did. You know that I did. Um, I know that you do. <laughs> uh, it, robot Man. By the way, Robot Man doing the robot with that kid yes. might be the greatest thing I've seen this year. Robot Man doing the robot with that kid while uh, uh, Dam- uh, Matt, Matt yeah. Bomer yeah. sings karaoke. Yes. <laughs> 
so great. It was just, I remember sitting there watching it and thinking, this is why I watch TV right here, this moment. Um, but yes, uh, it turns out that Robot Man might have a slight crush on Jennifer Beals, yeah. who is also the sheriff in Swamp Thing. I mean, nothing says that they can't bring her character over. I absolutely hope they do. I absolutely hope they do. I loved it. He said he's seen Flashdance 87 times. <laughs> and I love that Robot Man character. Yeah. And and Jane. We got the Karen version of Jane this time. Okay, of all the, of all the Janes, Karen is the most terrifying. Absolutely she is. Absolutely. Ooh. That is rom-com Jane. And this show is the best. Speaking of the best, we meet the best Doom Patrol character in this episode. Would that be Danny? That would be Danny. <laughs> that would absolutely be Danny. How many sentient and genderqueer streets do you know? <laughs> so great so great it's just the the best show and i'm super excited that it's got a season two i love the practical effects because i think most of them yeah. were if not straight up practical were cgi'd to look practical yeah but just the the, the ways that like in the fiction street. practically danny communicates yeah like yeah signs coming in or light that bulbs little... going off and drawing attention the banner that yeah. goes across the street yeah where are you from yeah <laughs> so good so good but that karaoke scene was just it was just amazing just amazing so yeah that one gets gets whatever five out of five whatever we're doing for doom patrol um what should be the unit of measure for doom patrol quality b that's a that's a great question because that show there's a lot going on in that show um 10 out of 10 or five out of five donkeys yeah we'll do five out of five donkeys i think that works yeah it definitely gets it yeah all right anything else on doom patrol or on Swamp Thing. Nope, that'll do it. I feel like there might be something else in Swamp Thing we are forgetting. Uh, we didn't talk much about Abby. We didn't. Abby goes back to Atlanta. Things are not great. Clearly the Conclave has its yeah. roots in the CDC. Yeah. Harlan gets kidnapped. Mm-hmm. Abby goes back to the Swamp. I am glad that, that not only Abby did tell Mr. Conclave just to straight up fuck off <laughs> yeah, yeah. for asking to manipulate Alec, but also that she was not like somehow tricked into doing it like it was yeah, irrele- her answer became irrelevant anyway because avery and jason were already on that shit right right but yeah i i love i love abby as a character yeah she is just the best absolutely all right no maria no Mm-mm, no it was no. actually a really small cast for this episode that's too. that's what i'm saying it was it was yeah. very focused on the a plot i mean we saw mm-hmm. alec and avery mm-hmm. we saw the sheriff and her deputy mm-hmm. um we saw another random deputy yeah. We saw Alec and Harland and the new, like, a deputy director and mm-hmm. Mr. Conclave. And that's really, uh, Jason and his wife. Yep. And that's really it. That's, that's it. That's the whole episode cast. Yep. So Save you, a few you, extras at the CDC. You can tell they're really trying to tie that one up. Yeah. I imagine that's what the next episode will be, too. Yeah. Uh, save our swamp thing. Save our swamp thing. All right. I think that's going to do it. Alrighty. Until next time. Toodles. <laughs> Bye, everybody gracefully segueing into <laughs> outros uh my blog is meggriffin.com that is meg with two g's uh, i review books i review occasionally comic books um and occasionally tv shows and movies primarily it's books uh you can also find my other podcasts there um as well as if you are listening to this and wondering what other episodes of panelology i'm on they're all listed on there as well because i'm that good 
Uh, so yeah. Excellent. All right. Um, while we are plugging, Meg and I are both on <laughs> Minds at Yerk, a bi-weekly Animorphs reread podcast. Uh, often, Jin is on there as well. Brian has been on there once. <laughs> if you are into Animorphs or were into Animorphs, check it out or want to be into Animorphs. That is oh. also valid. <laughs> Or if you think Animorphs is just a child series and had no impact. I don't know. There was a recently a tweet that was like the author's note about the last book, which I'm not going to talk about, but it led people to be like, wait, this is a book about kids in like a war and it's not like campy? No, it's really not. <laughs> no. The boxcar children, they aren't. No. No. Um, I also started a new show with a friend of mine, MJ, going through the Rob Thomas back catalog, beginning with Veronica Mars, episode by episode. Oh, man. See, you missed. I was going to go which Rob Thomas, but. Uh, Well, not that one. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. That is the Rob Thomas. No, not that one. Robcast. Which you can find on your podcatching platform of choice or on Twitter at NotThatRobCast. We would like to thank Chase Parker. I'm sorry, Brian, would you like to promote anything? Oh, I was just going to uh, give our, uh, we're going to have a panel at DragonCon again this year. Okay. That was yeah. in my notes, but you, oh, can, yay. Yeah, you can talk about that. Yeah. So uh, we we don't have exact timing yet. Oh, but, we can uh, actually say now. Oh, can um, we? Yes. I believe Excellent. it's on Friday at 1 p.m. <laughs> Excellent. We don't have timing. Week, week, week. No, I got the okay that we could officially... The it was like officially confirmed submitted to the con very cool very cool all right yeah so uh wonderful friday afternoon spot which is uh yeah yeah. come uh come see us send us questions Uh, you can do that at our website um that's panelologypodcast.com yep uh and uh, let us know if you're going to be there i think we're going to try do we want to talk about what we're going to try and do for this one well we can say we'll probably say what we're going to try to do not what they are right yeah we're going to read yeah and and give you room to like send questions ahead of time or prepare questions if you're going to be there ahead of time yeah hopefully we can have a a, a bit more interactive discussion since you know we're going to let you know what it's going to be and you'll have the opportunity to read it ahead of time yeah Yeah. and if it doesn't make a difference then we'll go back to our usual surprise list but uh we wanted to try giving a heads up this go around yeah so come see us there all right yeah, that's it. All right, that takes care of most of the show notes. We would like to thank Chase Parker for our intro voiceover. Um, you know you can listen to us wherever you want. If you want to support us on Patreon, that's patreon.com slash panelology. If you want merch, that's bit.ly slash panelology merch. Capital P, capital M. I'm Alex. I'm Brian. And I'm Megan. All right, go read comics. Go read comics.